paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Standing with me, we have a lot of beast and a little beauty. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Anyway, California representatives and Arizona, all the way, all of them. Here, over here, we have Jay, here we have Adam, and here we have Ashanti. So, uh, is there anything that you would like to say, Jay, to anything to the studio audience? No? Uh, I love the Lakers. Wrong state, my friend. Okay, and Adam. Shout out to my friend Kirk in the front row. Adam is giving a shout out to his friend who is 10 feet away. That's California thinking for you right there. I'm just kidding to you. And then we have Ashante. Is there anything you would like to say or you want to be shy? That's good. You be shy. Anyway, it's always great to see people from other states coming on the show, especially kids. We love you guys. Thanks for being on the program. You step right over there. Heart of the Matter can be watched from anywhere in the world through streaming video, www.hotm.tv. And you'll have it right before your eyes. Are you doing a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study? If not, come join us from, from 2.30 to 3.30 every Sunday at the University of Utah. Now, as you're driving in, you can turn into AM820. Uh, the Truth, uh, and what that is, is a Christian radio station here in the state of Utah, and they replay Heart of the Matter every Sunday from 1 to 2. So 1 to 2, AM 820, 2.30 to 3.30, Bible study. Then after that, after the Bible study, in the same room at the U of U, a group gathers together called You're Not Alone. It's led by Earl and Carla, and it's just people who are coming out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a time to voice your opinions, talk about doctrinal things, people of like-minded, uh, like minds to uh, discuss the difficulty of leaving the LDS Church because they've made it difficult for you. If you have questions about things like time and place, go to www.calvarycampus.com. Really quickly, last week I forgot to do this. Christian Gift and Bible on Main Street in Springville is going out of business. Now, since we've been doing the show, we have seen a lot of Christian bookstores go out of business in this state. Part of it's the, uh, the uh, internet and it, how it affects bookstores, uh, mortar, brick and mortar cement stores, um, brick and mortar bookstores. But it's also, you know, very tough in Utah to have a sustainable business in Christian books. And so they're going out of business. They're having a tremendous sale. Uh, Christian Gift and Bible, Main Street uh, in Springville, if you're interested in picking up uh, Christian pr uh, books and things uh, at a discount as they unfortunately go out of business. Also, uh, in Logan, tomorrow night at Oasis Books, they're at 25 West Center in Logan, 7 p.m. tomorrow night, July 20th, 
Uh, the Wilders are going to be there. That's Michael and um, it just says the Wilders. Michael and Lynn, thanks Derek, are going to be there. I know Lynn's been on the show before and they're going to be sharing their testimony of coming out of Mormonism. Uh, Lynn was a former BYU professor and they are the parents of Michael we Micah Wilder who uh, is part of the great uh, Christian band, once LDS uh, missionaries, Adams Road. So that's tomorrow night, Wednesday the 20th, 7 p.m. And the Wilders are also going to be on uh, Doris Hansen's program on the 21st to talk about the great subject Christians talk about, grace. How about a moment from the Word? We have uh, spent the last three weeks in Matthew 19 in the story of the rich young ruler. Tonight we come to the point of it all. And um, recall that the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, uh, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, he was under the impression that there was a way for him to earn eternal life. He said, what must I do? And he's standing before the very person who would be able to grant him eternal life. In the book of Acts, Peter is speaking to a group of Jews, uh, both about their inability to keep the law and their attempts to heap the law on the back of other people. And this is what Peter says in Acts 15.10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. That yoke is the law. And Peter is saying to these Jews, why are you trying to put the law back on these guys? The law, we couldn't keep it. Our fathers couldn't keep it. We can't bear it. So why are you doing this? So this rich young man comes to Jesus and he wants to know what he needs to do relative to obeying the law and uh, how he can become worthy to have salvation. So Jesus tells him in Matthew 19, 21, If thou will be perfect, go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had a great many possessions." Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, here we get to the heart of the matter, my friends, because his disciples are just blown away. They have seen a guy come who says, I have kept all these things from my youth in the law. And Jesus now says to this guy, give away your goods, come and follow me. And the guy walks away and Jesus says, it's going to be so hard for someone like that to ever get into the kingdom of heaven. And so the disciples are just like, how do we get to heaven? What is possibly going to be the method for us to be able to go to heaven? And they say in the next verse, verse 25, when his disciples heard it, when they heard Jesus say this, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? How is it possible to have salvation? You've got a guy who's kept all, much of the law. He's rich and he can't get into, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Here's the issue, my friends. There is nothing anyone can do to save themselves. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. 
Did you know that? You cannot do something in this life where God's going to go, well, I just love that guy, that woman all the more. Look at them. I just love them all the more. He loves you completely. In fact, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for your sins that you could not clean up and to give you eternal life by your faith upon him. There's no rights, no possible obediences, no efforts, no home teaching, no tithing, no Sabbath day that will make God love you more. Okay, so the disciples are totally bummed. I mean, this rich young ruler is dutiful, and Jesus says, he looks at them, verse 26, Jesus beheld them, and this is what Jesus says to them. And here's the whole point of the whole thing. With men, this, meaning being saved, is impossible. But with God, meaning Jesus, standing there in the flesh, all things are possible. That is the point, my friends. Only with God is salvation possible. And remember, it started out by the guy saying, good master, and Jesus saying, why are you calling me good? There's only one good but God. And so now we end the story with him saying, with God, it's only possible for you to have eternal life. That's the point of that message. Okay, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, seek you, love you, need you, seek your forgiveness for failing in our faith and love, and help us be with those who are seeking, be with our message tonight, with our audiences, wherever they may be, our volunteers, our staff, people who give so much time and energy to seeing the program and ministry grow. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Last week we had a female LDS caller uh, call, and she emphatically said a number of things. Our good friend Robert Verdon he brought, in, he brought in an LDS book. It says The Presidents of the Church. It's, a, it's an LDS publication. Last week, that caller said, I don't listen to Bruce R. McConkie. He was just an apostle. He's not a prophet. I said, Bruce R. McConkie is an apostle, and in the LDS Church, if you're an apostle, you're a prophet, seer, and revelator. Oh, no, he's not. Yes, they are. No, he's not. So it, right here it says on Lesson 9, page 33 of this book, it says, show a picture of the current... First Presidency and Quorum of Twelve Apostles. Explain what each, that each man who is ordained an apostle is ordained as a prophet, seer, and revelator. So, young lady who called last week so full of false information, you were wrong. And your manual uh, proves it. Thank you, Robert Verdon, for bringing that to our attention. Well, she called and she was giving her brand of Mormonism and she kept inserting a statement over our argument, Mormonism is Christian. We are Christian. She kept saying that. Tonight we're going to do a couple of things that's actually going to tie into our analysis of the Book of Mormon in an indirect way. But you'll know about it more as we continue on in the weeks to come. But let me repeat some stuff I said back in 2007, four years ago. Over the course of the show, we have coined a few words, some of them on accident, some of them on purpose. We have uh, generously given you twistianity. And through a pronunciation error, I have created the word pastored. Uh, tonight, we at Aletheia Ministries would like to reintroduce to you another word that we coined. Please feel free to use it as often as needed. Now, in astrology, the phrase that they use to conceptualize this thing is that person's a Gemini. And the Greeks use a word, uh, Hippocrates. 
And the, in the animal kingdom, they, uh, are, the animals are called chameleons. And in children and uh, toys, uh, they are transformers. And in literature, we have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Dracula and even Spider, Super, and the Batman. Okay? In our personal relationships, we call this someone being duplicitous. In business, we call them being uh, shaky or shifty. And in politics, we say that the politician is a flipper. We all have words for these categories. Well, when it comes to shifting, changing religious doctrine without giving an explanation for it, you just shift the doctrine and say, well, that's just what we've done. We call that being Mormonicious. And that was the word that we coined four years ago. Mormonicious. What? You used to believe that Jesus is God, but now you don't? That's quite Mormonicious of you. Uh, what? The Episcopalians now embrace abortion as okay? Very Mormonicious, you see. It can be used in any sense when it's talking about religions changing their doctrinal positions and not giving it any reason for it. So we have a definition for you on the screen. Mormonicious or Mormonicious to change from one essential doctrine, doctrinal religious imperative, to another without explanation. Okay? There's your definition of Mormonicious. I think it's a good word because it sounds so sweet and kind of Mormonicious. It sounds so appealing, you know, like a cookie or something. And that's how, that's how they, that's how they twist their doctrine. It's sweetly. It's Mormoniciously. Oh, well, Sean, I don't know that we teach that anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and they know they do, but Mormoniciously, they get the whole 13 million. Well, I don't think, I never hear that in the church, you know, and they call the show, I've never heard that in my life. This is Mormoniciousness in action. Before we discuss the LDS claims that Mormonism is Christian, let's review their position on Christianity in the past. It all started with Joseph Smith saying in different ways in an assortment of different accounts that God the Father and Jesus appeared to him. We're going to decimate this uh, and the first vision in the weeks to come. He wrote in a final revisionist account. Here we go. I asked the personages that stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right, for at that time it never entered my heart that they were all wrong, and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong, and the, person, and the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt. Now remember, Joseph Smith said that God himself told him that all professed biblical Christians and Christianity was corrupt worldwide, all of them. Little old Bible reading Christians in the Italian Alps, corrupt. Devote and devoted and devout Christian fathers and their families and mothers the world over, corrupt. Christian martyrs, every single Christian pastor, Christian reverend, Christian preacher throughout the world, corrupt. Gone, according to God. George Albert Smith, early prophet of the LDS Church, said in November of 1863, when Joseph Smith was about 14 or 15 years old, he went humbly before the Lord and inquired of him. And the Lord answered his prayer and revealed to Joseph, by the administration of angels, the true condition of the religious world. When the holy angel appeared... Joseph inquired as to which of all these denominations was right and which he should join and was told that they were all wrong, end quote. 
you know what? Go back to that quote for a second, can you, Brandy? Look at where it says that this is a prophet of the LDS church in 1863. He doesn't say that God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph Smith. But at that time, still, they were under the impression that the first vision was a vision of an angel. And we have a quote from an LDS prophet right there saying, when the holy angel appeared and Joseph inquired about which church was true, that the holy angel was the one that informed him. But we can go back now. We're going to get to all that in weeks to come to show you how, what a history the first vision is in Mormonism. Anyway, early LDS leaders... Um, and members were relentless in their attack upon Christians uh, who, and uh, they have long sought since Joseph Smith's time to have nothing to do with Christians but make fun of them. Even as recently as 1998 in the Deseret News, page 7, LDS president at the time, Gordon B. Hinckley, said that the Mormon church is, quote, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. Okay. Later, while visiting uh, Switzerland, and in reference to those outside of Mormonism who say the LDS do not believe in the traditional Christ, Gordon B. Hinckley, as their prophet, said this. Do you believe in the traditional Christ? Here's the quote. No, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. For the Christ of whom I speak has been revealed in the dispensation of the fullness of times. He, together with his father, appeared to the boy Joseph in the year 1820. And when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more of the nature of God than all the learned ministers of the gospel of all the ages. When I was a missionary, we would go door to door and we taught people straight up, your church is corrupt. Your pastor, your preacher is out for filthy lucre. He is into priestcrafts. He is of the devil. When I went to the LDS temple and I took out my endowments, they had an actor playing a Protestant uh, minister, and that Protestant minister in that film is employed by Satan, another actor, I think he was an actor at least, who shows up and he, he employs this Protestant preacher with money to teach the world, the gospel, as according to Christianity. Satan does. So you got to see, Mormonism has long been against Christianity. But something has happened over the past couple decades, my friends. Something Mormonicious, baby. Something Mormonicious. There has been a growing and rolling movement afoot, a public movement led by LDS leaders and, and their hirelings like Millet and Peterson and Robinson of Brigham Young University that relentlessly demands that, Christian, that Mormonism be considered Christian. In October of 2007, General Conference of the Church Apostle uh, Jeffrey Holland said, As we invite one and all to examine closely the marvel of it, meaning the marvelous work and wonder of Mormonism, there is one thing we would not like anyone to wonder about. That is whether or not we are Christians, end quote. He claims in a typical move to avoid complexity that there were basically two issues that kept Mormonism and, and biblical Christianity apart. The first one was the makeup of God or the Trinity, and the second one was modern revelation or having a living prophet. 
All I can say to Elder Holland is you wish. You wish there was two things that separated us from you. Nevertheless, Holland maintains that the nature of God and continued revelation is the problem. Regarding the makeup of God, Holland went on and said boldly, listen, quote, Trinitarian notion is never set forth in scripture because it is not true, end quote. Is, it's not true that the Bible says there is one God, Elder Holland. It's not true that the Bible calls the Father God, the Son God, and the Holy Spirit God, Holland. You call yourself an apostle. You say nowhere in Scripture is the Trinity true. And yet we have the emphatic notion that there is one and only one God. And yet we have Scripture calling the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit God. So you explain it to me, Holland. Phony. Why are the LDS brethren in this day and age strongly and overtly laying claim to being Christian? Religious editor Peggy Stack Flesher wrote in the Salt Lake Tribune of her coverage of the 2007 LDS conference this, quote, not only is Mormonism a Christian faith, it is the truest form of Christianity, said speaker after speaker on the first day of the 177th semi-annual LDS general conference, end quote. Why the association with Christianity, albeit they consider themselves the superior form of Christianity? Why did our caller last week insist that she is Christian? Has Mormonism always been Christian and the world of Christian scholars and born-again believers and apologists dismissed the boat? Why is this happening? Politics. World, national, local, state, politics. You see, evangelicals in times past, they refused to accept Mormonism as Christian. They knew their Bible then, and they collectively said there is no way Mormon doctrine could be considered Christian relative to what the Bible says. But today we're surrounded by pathetically weak and wimpish evangelicals who think because Mormons live a clean life, they got to be considered Christian. So Mormonism, a multinational, multi-billion dollar, politically orient, oriented from its onset, religious organization, claims to be the only true Christianity on earth, and it's given the right hand of fellowship by wimpish, self-serving, want-to-be-popular evangelicals who support them and endorse them, even their political candidates. So what of it? We're going to show you a segment from a program we did four years ago where we actually lay out the LDS doctrine and practice and test whether it's Christian. Take a look. I want to go through and I want to examine what I believe. Now, I understand a lot of Christians are going to get upset with some of, my th some of the things I'm going to say here. But I want to be as liberal as I can in when we look at all religions that claim to be Christian and say, Okay, what can we allow within a group that claims to be Christian and what can we not allow? And you may have a disagreement. You can call and share that. But let's go to these now, all right? So what this says here, let's see how this is. They are Christian. The LDS are absolutely Christian in these areas, okay? Family values. They have outstanding family values. Whether they play out correctly in the LDS life, I'm not sure. They spend an awful lot of time in meetings away from their family and do a lot of things like that. But the values are there. So we can agree, as far as a religion goes, they're Christian in their family values. Now, 
They're prescribed ethics. They say, be honest, be fair, be faithful, um, don't get angry, and all those Christian ethics. So they, they say to do that. How those play out again are not the thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about what their doctrines propose. And their doctrines propose a Christian ethic. All right? Missions. They go with Matthew uh, 28, and they go out into all the world, and they share their message better than most, better than almost all. Jehovah's Witnesses may uh, be pretty good on them, but bottom line, they, they do fulfill a good missional Christian statement, all right? And they go out two by two, which is kind of cool too, all right? And then holiness, personal holiness. Now, they strive for personal holiness. They want that. So you're going to have to say, yeah, they're Christian in that area. No, no, no disagreement. Here's the problem. You have these threads, these, this warp threads that are Christian. And then you're going to get weft threads that are not. And you have a fabric that is false. All right. What happens is people selectively listen to or watch the warp threads and say, wow, you know, hey, we are Christian. We are Christian. What about those things? Well, that, you know, they're just something. They really don't. But these, thing, these threads are really important, really important to what makes Mormonism Mormonism, okay? Finally, we have atonement. And this is one of the most important main threads that runs through Mormonism that is congruent. Same Jesus, no. But they do believe that Jesus Christ atoned for sin. Where he did it, another topic. But they do believe he came and suffered for the sins of this world. And so that main thread is really difficult for Mormons to differentiate between, am I a Christian or not? We believe in Jesus. We sing songs about him, the atonement, all this. And it's a very confusing issue for them because they don't understand the nuance, which we're going to talk about in a second. All right. So we can agree, and there may be more or less, but we can agree, I think, that they are Christian in those areas. Now let's go to, they're different, but I will say, let's let them have these differences in their culture. All right. Now, the reason I say that is because there are Christian cultures out there that are strange too. And so we have to admit that culture is kind of a combination of, a, uh, of your theology, your doctrine, your practice, your people, your genetics. All those things start to make up culture, the environment you live in, things like that. So culture, we're going to have to let them have, all right? And then we go to their legalisms. Now, there are, there are Baptist churches that make Mormons look like liberals, so as far as legalisms, we can't beat them up on that. I mean, they expect dress standards. Well, that's kind of nice in today's age. And they don't want you to drink alcohol on these things. Well, there's a lot of churches and pastors who stand up strongly for those. So we can't disregard them for their legalistic approach. I do when it comes to the grace of God, but we'll talk about that later. Authoritarian top-down government. We see that all the time. We see it in different churches. There are, you know, we have a pope. People will argue are Catholics, Christians. We have churches, Billy Graham's thing. He's top down. We have a lot of these. Now, yes, he calls himself a prophet, but we have an authoritarian structure. Just because it's there doesn't mean they're not Christian. All right. Now, we can poke fun of these things and kind of throw it in a big package about why they don't measure up to being Christian and say, look at this. This just shows. But bottom, if you just take them separately, they're different. But I don't think it's, it, it cancels the deal. Living prophets. Many people are going to say, oh, you're over it with that. Hebrews 1.1 says, you know, God spoke with prophets in times past. Today he speaks to us through his son. But there are churches that believe they have a prophet who guides them. They're not well known. They're very few and far between. But there's some people who believe that their leader is a prophet. We do believe in the gift of prophecy, that men and women can have prophecy. And so that's not a deal breaker. All right. So if we can keep these facts going, 
or what I believe are facts, it's going to help us in the dialogue when they throw out that we're Christians because we can get to the real core issues and slam them down quickly. And then we come to their meetings, which are dead. Well, you can go to a lot of Christian churches and the meetings are dead too. Uh, you can walk into some, uh, yeah, anyway. So we can't poke fun of the dead meetings. All right. So then we go to some really stretched out, strange LDS things that I'm going to include on the board that says, okay, we'll let you have it. But man, I would never, I would never embrace these things because I don't think these things are going to change a person's relationship with Jesus. Now, I know this is going to really get under the skin of some apologetic Christians, but just let me have my, uh, my day here before the whiteboard. Three degrees of glory. All right, Jesus said in my, father are many, in, in my Father's house are many mansions. Maybe we can interpret it that way. I know their interpretation is God does not dwell in the lower ones. Jesus doesn't dwell in the lowest and all that stuff. But if they want to die, believing in the three degrees of, of glory, I'm not going to fight with them on it. Okay, that's not a deal breaker. You want to believe in that? Go ahead. You're going to die and you're going to see it's false. Whatever. But does it make them not Christian? I don't know. You know, you can talk to a lot of people about what they think heaven will be like, and we can get a lot of different answers from people who are really good believers. What does the Bible say? Well, it does talk about some different, you know, uh, places and some different things. I was caught up in the third heaven. We have some of this stuff. So, but I, I don't agree with it in the way they've interpreted it, but I do think that, well, let's let them have it. Book of Mormon. Uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. Book of Mormon. How could you put that under? Listen, it's a copy. It's a complete plagiarism. And we've gone through that five weeks we spent on showing you how. If they want to embrace that as being something that leads them to God and is Christian, I am not going to dissuade because a lot of it was taken from the Bible. And there are very, very few things that say anything contrary, anything at all contrary to the Bible. There's a few situations that you could say, man, that's kind of weird, cutting off this guy's head, you know, that. But we see that in the Old Testament too. So as far as Christianity, it teaches Christian principles because it's a plagiaristic piece of material. So let's give them that one, all right? Gethsemane. They believe that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world in Gethsemane. I believe that Jesus suffered there. I believe that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world on the cross. And I'm going to show you where the cross fits in on the next board in a second as to why they're not Christian. But as far as him suffering Gethsemane, again, they're going to have to talk with God. And then they go to a pre-existence. And I just want to be as far open as I can to let them touch this stuff so that we can get to the real core issues. Maybe they were pre-existent in God's mind. Maybe there's something that we could say that there's some play in that. I don't know. I don't believe in a pre-existence. I believe that God breathed into Adam and the spirit came forth. And I'm a biblical, I stand biblically and I don't think it is biblical at all. I think it's from the mind of Joseph Smith, but it's a really tough one for a lot of Mormons to get over and it, they don't get over it for a long period of time. So I just don't think it's something to debate with them right off the bat. You'll figure out where you came from. Just get to know the Lord now that you're here. And then once they get to know him, this starts to faint. But let's not make it part of the argument. And finally, eternal marriage. Okay? So we have eternal marriage. Now, it's in complete opposition to what Jesus said. And that's why I put it last on the far corner over there because it's like taking it out there. And it's really a stretch. And that's it's under the strange category. And they believe that they can be sealed and they're together forever. Uh, I don't believe it. But they do, and so is it a deal breaker? If they believed in all the other things Christian, would their ideas of eternal marriage be okay? 
or at least we don't even want to hear about it, but go ahead and think it. I think yes. So, not Christian, all right? We have their idea on the ontology. That's a big word for makeup of God. Not Christian is their views on matter. Not Christian is their views on the fall. Not Christian is their views on salvation. And not Christian are their temple rights, okay? Let me address those uh, as, we, as we go through for a second. They teach that Joseph Smith saw God who had a body of flesh and bone. Joseph Smith said God had a body and he didn't even say it in his first few recitations of his first vision. They're always claiming you got to uh, trust the first vision. The first vision is what the whole church is based on. Go and read the first visions. Go to utlm.org. Go to any reliable website and look and you'll see all the different versions of the first vision. It's not reliable. But in the end, he, he reconstructed it and he came out and he said God had a body of flesh and bones. Jesus said... Joseph said by Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus also said, after he resurrected to his disciples, behold my hands and feet, that it is I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus said, God is a spirit. He came back in his resurrected body and he said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. What more do you need? You're going to believe Joseph? Are you going to believe Jesus? They say they're Christian, but we have a problem right then and there. The scripture says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Exodus 32, 20 says, no man can see me and live. Joseph Smith said he saw him. 1 John 4, 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Again, how can they say they're Christian when they don't believe the core fundamental things? John 1.8 says, No man has seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. Colossians says, Jesus is in the image of the invisible God. 1 Timothy 1.17 calls God the Father eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, who hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. And Joseph says, I saw him, and that he had a body of flesh and bone. They want us to believe that they're Christian, but they aren't when it comes to their idea of God. On matter, Mormonism believes a couple things about matter. They say matter cannot be created or destroyed. Okay? That comes directly from Joseph Smith. God himself, our God, any God, the far back gods, the first God, whatever, cannot create matter, Joseph taught. They cannot be Christian. We believe that God created all things. Mormons say no. He did not create matter. They also say that matter cannot be created or destroyed. They also say that matter is eternal. They also say that matter, anything that is real is made of matter and anything that is not real is not uh, is not matter what they're saying is there's no immaterial matter meaning spirit is matter is what they say it's a heavy concept but their topic and doctrines of matter are very important because they lead back to the way they view god who was a man at one time has a body of flesh and bones and he had a father who had a father and a father why because matter has always existed and it just continues to move forward in different forms that takes us to the fall they believe the fall was a good thing. It was a fall upward. They believe that Adam 
had to transgress purposefully in order to bring about God's plan, that God presented them with this uh, trickery plan. Don't do this. Come on, you can do it. Don't do this. Please do it. Hurry up so we can get all these spirit children down here. It is it's incomprehensible. They think God works that way. The fall was a result of disobedience. The fall took the world and brought it into sin. Suffering children in India, people starving to death, children being raped, this is all the result of the fall that they say is good. It's not good. We could have lived in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve could have populated and we could have lived in the presence of God with fellowship and as his created beings and learning from him and growing in him, just like what we long to have when we become regenerated Christians. But no, they have a different plan. Why? Because it all tapers back to these elements of, the, of matter and God. Okay, so, so Holland stands up and says, we are Christians, don't wonder about it whatsoever. And there's just a couple things that, they, that are going to be uh, uh, problematic. It's more than a couple things, my brother. All right? And then we go to salvation. Because the fall was a good thing, guess what? You're not born in sin. You're born clean and pure. Yes, you're going to make some mistakes. Oops, I stole that cookie. Well, now you need to repent, and Jesus makes it possible for you to repent. You can go, because he did suffer. Remember, they believe in atonement. He did suffer, and now you can go and repent, and you can R-scarf everything, recognize, feel sorrow, confess, ask, forsake, restitute. And if you do all those things, Jesus' blood covers you, and you go on, and you earn your immortality and eternal life. Christians, what do we say? You know what we say. It is by grace that we are saved. Not after all that we can do, period. We're saved by the grace of God. We can do nothing to save ourselves, nothing. Jesus did it for us, past, present, and future. You come to him by faith. That's not what they're teaching. They stand up before millions of people and say, we are Christian. Okay, Lord be with me. Then they go on and they add, because your salvation is up to you, you got to do temple rites. And they say, we believe in that we're saved by grace. We believe that Jesus is all we need. Jesus makes it possible. All those things. And they're all couched. They're all veiled in a kind of a secret language that they do not give you the full picture. Because you cannot live with God if you haven't gone and accepted everything that they do in the temple. And unless you do that, you're going to live in a lesser kingdom where God does not dwell. That is not Christianity, my friends, at all. The veil of the temple was rent top to bottom by God. He said, it's over. It's finished. There are no more of going in and trying to do appease me through shed blood of animals or through rites and rituals. It's through Jesus. The temple is not Christian. Now, I have a space over here. I don't know if it's on the camera, but I want to add a few other things and then we're going to go to the phones quickly. And now it is how they are, and this is strong, I'm sorry, antichrist. There's a difference between, between all these categories and now we get to the point where they are antichrist, okay? And so we can go and we can talk about the cross. We did a show last year in 2006, and it talked about the references in the Bible to the cross. They are plentiful. 
The cross is not an icon that Catholics developed for us to worship and adore. The cross was in the text of the Bible. It's throughout the text. It, the, him that is hanged on a tree is, is accursed. All of these references to the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. It is the cross by which we are saved. It's an offense to the Mormons. They can't even understand it. They've made it so verboten to them. They've made it this thing that is ugly. It is beautiful because it is what saves us and reconciles us to the Father. So how can they even say they are Christian? They don't even accept the thing that the Bible teaches over and over. Do a word search on cross and see how often it refers to the cross of Christ. And then ask yourself, why doesn't my church like the cross? When all the references from the apostles who knew him talked about the cross. All right? I know that they, had, they stood in an auditorium with thousands of people dressed nicely and they had the best of furniture and the nicest of suits and we're at a, a, a television station tv20 and you got one guy up here who, who doesn't look so great and he's talking on a whiteboard and drawing but let me tell you something this is the truth and you're not getting it from the top why they want that money they want that power and they will do anything and say anything to get it finally let's keep let's go on and i'll end doctrine and covenants 132 Read it. Go and open your Doctrine and Covenants and read that through. Talk about how it says that you can become God, okay? Talk about how you have to have plural wives. This is Antichrist. That's all it is. Read it. Just read that section. What else? Sorry, virgin birth. Now they will say today, Oh, you know, we believe in the virgin birth. In fact, in conference, I believe it was Holland who says, I embrace the virgin birth. Let me tell you something. I have plenty of quotes all the way just recently to Ezra Taft Benson, who says, the Holy Ghost did not overshadow Mary. It was not the Holy Ghost by which Mary conceived. It was the Father. Is the Father a spirit? No. In Mormonism, the Father has a body of flesh and bones. They do not believe in the virgin birth. They do not. That is anti-Christ, no matter what they say. I know I'm impassioned. I know you see me like this and you're thinking, oh, what a hateful, angry man. I love you to death. I almost cry when I get emails from you guys saying you've come to know the Lord and how you have now you understand who he is and why people would say you're not a Christian. When they become Christians, their life changes. They embrace the cross. They love the virgin birth. They reverence God. They don't try to become him. Finally, not finally, Melchizedek Priesthood. And you're going to like my writing. I'm getting lazy. Melchizedek Priesthood. Forget it. Hebrews tells us we have one high priest, one only, and he goes to the Father, just like the old high priest did, and he is the one who can enter into that realm, offering his blood once and for all for us, and it's done. They are not priests. There is no such thing as a Melchizedek priesthood. And they've assigned themselves this title, and they stand up there calling themselves apostles, ordaining themselves as apostles and prophets, and there is no Melchizedek priesthood ever anymore. Jesus is our high priest. You are not a high priest. Jesus is. And if you read Hebrews, you'll understand it. And finally, before we go to the phones, this is where they fail the biggest. All those other theological and doctrinal areas, this is where they fail the most. Because if you could read our emails, when a person does not accept even the smallest of their doctrines, they're forbidden from going into the temple. 
And that means they don't get to live with God. And they have been taught that this is the only way. And they think a little bit differently and they spend their lives into sheer misery, guilt, wondering what they're going to do. Somebody can't stop smoking. They're banished. They have a heart of gold and they're banished. Somebody doesn't uh, stop drinking coffee. Somebody has some moral issues. Banished, banished, banished. You have to reach their level. You have to please these men in order for you to really get your salvation assured. And that is anti-love. Did you know in the Utah State Prisons that the prisoners cannot have the LDS sacrament for two years until after they've gotten out because they're not worthy? Do you know that they're sitting there in those prisons as Latter-day Saints just wondering why, where is their communion? When the Christian churches are going in there and they're saying, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Here, commune with the Lord. What is wrong with this picture? This is where they're failing. The biggest. And it's all a result of all this other stuff. So the law of tithing, Sean, says you must pay it on... <coughs> must pay... Okay, first of all, I want money back. Jesus came off my glove. I did not pull him off. And so did the restoration where God the Father came. Gone. The only thing left now on my glove is Joseph, Temples, and Monson. If I, I wouldn't be able to get my children in heaven with this glove. And you sold me an inferior product. Oh, my goodness. All right, we've got uh, all kinds of people on the phones waiting. We're going to go uh, to uh, Gary in Sylvania, Ohio. Gary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, I was just, uh, just listening to your uh, presentation. My goodness, uh, you kind of stole some of my thunder, but that's all right. You covered all the bases. So uh, what's happening, Gary? You got to be quick. We got we got we got to catch up from all that talking I did. Yeah, okay. Hey, I was just going to mention something about uh, you know how the Mormons uh, are convinced say, oh, you we worship the same God as you. And I was doing some research last night just on one point: uh, plural marriage, better known as adultery, <laughs> fornication. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, and. Uh, and I was looking at the, the verses, the references, and everything in Scripture. God not only condemned it, he also, you know, still condemns it. And if you commit that, the Bible says you're not going to get to heaven. You're going to go to end up in hell. And I just want our LDS friends to know, hey, look, you know, you got to look at the reality, look at the Scripture to give you something reasonable and true to look at. Because I'll go so far as to challenge the LDS Take a month, every day, you read a part of John's Gospel. Pray beforehand. Pray, God, give me wisdom and help me understand this. Read the book of John every day for 30 days and see what you think at the end of 30 days. What do you think? I think it's excellent, Gary. It's a great recommendation. Thanks for watching out there in Ohio. God bless, my friend. God bless. See you later. Bye-bye. Excellent. We're going to go to Don in Midvale, first-time caller. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Don? Don. Don, wake up! <laughs> All right, Don, going once. All right, we're going to go to Kelly 
in Orem. Kelly, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Hi, Kelly. You've got to turn your TV down. Okay, it's down. Okay, go ahead, my friend. Oh, I don't see myself on the screen. That's because I'm on the screen. <laughs> we don't have a camera in your house. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, You're on the air, though. Okay, my name is Kelly Wynn. Um, I grew up in a Catholic home with devout, loving Catholic parents. And um, they taught me that the Jews crucified our Savior and that that was the cause of their persecution. And even though they crucified our Savior, that didn't give us the right to kill them or persecute them for their beliefs because they're still God's children. And so we were taught that they, have, they are a sacred race, and we are to respect them anyway. So I just feel like the Mormons are kind of the same way. They may believe something we don't believe in, but we shouldn't crucify them or you know, put them down for what they believe in, because there's hundreds of Christian churches, and they all argue amongst themselves. Yeah, but there's a huge difference between arguing over the minor, majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. And the Christian churches, they do not argue over whether Jesus was God, the virgin birth, the Bible as uh, reliable, uh, resurrection. They don't argue over the core tenets. That's the difference. They might argue over whether you baptize by sprinkling or immersion, all those things. But I just gave, we just gave 25 minutes of, of things that the LDS do that are completely outside of biblical exegesis about what is true. And, and, if, it, and if everything was okay, um, then, Kelly, then, then why do the apostles always telling us to know sound doctrine and to teach earnestly and, cont and contend for the faith and, and to beware of false prophets and all this stuff? It, it, we, we live in an age where everyone wants to say, oh, let's just be kind. The LDS capitalize on that because they don't want their stuff to be called into question. But, you know, what would you do if you saw a child on a, on a, on a, on a, a, a big wheel riding towards the edge of a 200-foot of a cliff? You would say, stop. You would say you're headed the wrong way. You would say your actions are errant. You are about to die. And so there's a reason. There's a time. And there's... This is far more important than physical safety. I mean, we would be aghast if somebody watched a little kid wheel off a 200-foot thing and never said anything. But we don't think anything about not sharing the truth, which is, has eternal consequences. So I disagree with you, my sister. Oh, I appreciate your view. Okay, thank you for that very polite response. Okay. You take care. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, we have Don in Midville. We're going to try it again. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I just had a question. Yeah. I was just wondering when it came about and when, the, when what the meaning is of the Mormon garments. Oh. I'll take my answer out there. Whoa. Uh, the, the meaning of the garment, um, it goes back to the sacred things that they do in the temple. And, and I won't go on the show. We never in the show reveal what those things are, but the, they're very symbolic. And they, what they do is they remind the wearer of promises or covenants that they made inside the temple. That's the meaning of it. So they wear it, and when they look at them in the mirror, when they're getting dressed, or they're about to do something evil or whatever, they know they're wearing them, and they're supposed to remind them. They also say that they're supposed to protect them. Uh, Marriott got on national television and said he knows of a guy who got in a boat fire, and the uh, garments protected him. Anywhere where the garments were, he wasn't burned. Anywhere where the garments weren't, he was burned. 
Of course, Marriott probably didn't consider it was an extra layer of clothing. No, that, that's why. <laughs> but, you know, in, in terms of, of why, it reminds them of the promises and covenants they made when they went into the temple. Okay, when did it uh, start? I mean... Back when Joseph Smith was concocting the whole thing and he was borrowing from, uh, uh, D. Michael Quinn says, from occult practices, uh, most other people say from masonry, the temple ceremony, uh, different groups have worn sacred uh, 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 things. The Jews wear yarmulkes and uh, Muslims wear burqas and different clothing artifacts and Joseph just incorporated that into their whole thing and it plays a role it's supposed to represent something uh, that they tell you what it represents in their temple. Okay, well, I appreciate it. You're welcome, my friend. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. An ex-LDS woman recently visited her own war an old ward. The changes she saw include big pictures of Jesus around the building, more talk about Jesus, uh, and she wants the LDS to understand that their Jesus is different from the biblical Jesus. Let me tell you something. You can, have, you can have statues. You can have pictures all you want. For, we, don't even know, we don't know what you look like. So a picture is, sorry, it's at best a man-made interpretation. Yeah, we have them, whatever. But because you have a picture and because you have a name, it doesn't mean you're a follower. You get it? Jesus said there will be people who do many, many wonderful works. There are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to look at them and say, I don't even know who you are. They think because they have the, his name in their church and pictures of him and they mention him more than saying in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, in a talk, that that makes them Christian. Christianity is in the heart of a person. It is not an institution. It's in someone who has recognized himself as a sinner, as seeing there is no other alternative to salvation but faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. They give their lives. They receive what Christ has to offer. They're born again. That is a Christian. Period, okay? So all these things that they're doing so that people can think, wow, picture of Jesus. They must be Christian. No. And by the way, look closely at most of the pictures of Jesus. He's blue-eyed and he's got, he's got perfect porcelain teeth and dimples and he's totally buff. Now Isaiah says he, he is not beautiful. He's not handsome. He has nothing that we would desire of him. That he was meek and lowly like a reed growing out of uh, dry ground. And that men would not look on him and say, wow, I'd like to be like that guy. Look at the LDS pictures. He looks like Tom Selleck in Magnum P.I. days. <laughs> All right. So uh, the testimony glove, this is from, uh, will be, the testimony glove was co-created by Kristen M. Oaks, the second, therefore, polygamous wife of Mormon apostle Dallin H. Oaks. By the way, you people who say Mormonism has nothing to do with polygamy, Dallin Oaks, living apostle today, has, has two wives sealed to him for the eternities. That's called polygamy. Okay? And, and Kristen Oaks, his second wife, developed our little glove. This guy writes, interesting how eagerly Deseret Book promotes a product by the wife of one of their board of directors. Amen to that will be. Sandy from, oh, Anne from Sandy, Utah. Sandy from Ann, Utah, you are on Heart of the Matter. You're on the air, Ann. Okay. You can speak. You can talk. Oh. You're on the air. But I can't see, I can't see my, well. You can't see yourself either. <laughs> what is wrong with our volunteers? 
No one can see themselves on TV tonight. And, okay, and, and. I want to congratulate you for Thank this program that you have because this is a big help for all the people who was and um, um, uh, believed in this church because I was for 25 year, years a member of the church, but I was not believing a lot of things that what they were teaching. And I inclined my to read the Bible, but in my heart, I believe in my Savior, but I was not uh, um, with trust to confess them that there uh, a lot of things I could understand what they were speaking. Okay, Sean. Hey, thank you so much, and that was a wonderful testimony, and that lets me say something else as we're wrapping up the show for tonight. Thank you, my sister. Bye-bye. Listen, there are LDS. There, there are many of you who will be watching the show either tonight, you'll go to YouTube, you'll see it on one of these many avenues you can watch the show, and you say in your heart, I do love Jesus. I do love the Lord. I, I want to know him. This, this guy, he's saying things that I, I, they make me feel uncomfortable. You know, when you're in a sea... And, and you're floating along and everything's fine, you relax. But when you think you're drowning, you grab that life, uh, life vest and you cling to it with all your might. And so it's normal for when you see me or you, or you read literature or you hear something, for you to grab, that, grab back onto the church and cling to it and say, no, no, it's true. You are wrong. You're, there's a problem with you. Look at your hair. There's something wrong with you. You, and, and it's normal for you to react that way. But let me tell you something, my friends. Try to let go and, and go to God and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to know if this is true. I want to have salvation by virtue of what he offers and not through something that's not true. It's, it's between you and God. It's not between you and me, not the information I give, not a pastor, not a bishop, not a stake president, not a prophet. It is between, directly between you and God to get your salvation. And so you do that by going to him and saying, I believe. Give me a new heart. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I confess you. Do that and you will be saved. Listen, Born Again Mormon, we don't talk about that very often. Uh, we haven't been in the past, but that's a website. You can go on that website and you can uh, click on create a, uh, a flyer. And this thing downloads in a second and you print it off and you cut it in half. And you've got two flyers there that you can give to your friends that tell about the heart of the matter. Uh, check that out, bornagainmormon.com. It also tells you everything we believe in. Next week, we're going to continue moving forward, my friends. We'll see you then here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. My, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty.